Welcome to Music and the Church with Sarah Bariza, a monthly podcast about thinking bigger in our faith, our ministries, and our churches. I'm Dr. Sarah Bariza, and today I am joined by Dr. Delvin Case, who's joining me in Boston. Um, it's wonderful to have you here, Del. Great to be here. Del, can you quickly introduce yourself to our listeners just so they have a sense of who you are and where you're coming from? Yes, well, I'm uh, trained as a composer, uh, also a conductor, and right now a professor at Wheaton College, which is a uh, secular liberal arts college in, outside of Boston. It was actually the first women's college in the country before we went oh, wow. co-ed about 25 years ago. That's cool. Uh, we're not related to the other Wheaton, which is better known in the Christian world, um, but I, uh, I work with my, the folks in the religion department, one of whose, whom is a uh, UCC minister. Um, and so uh, I do a lot of work on sort of religious issues on campus, especially through music. So, um, yeah, so I teach at Wheaton College, small school outside of Boston, uh, and I um, conduct orchestra there. Uh, I do a lot of composing in a uh, contemporary classical idiom. So that's symphony, or oratorio, opera, chamber music. My particular focus is in sacred music, uh, though generally I don't write music for the church. I don't have a lot of sacred choral music. Instead, I tend to write pieces in other classical genres that engage with uh, theology or the Bible or other um, sort of themes and ideas within the Christian faith. And um, I do some writing and some scholarship as well. And I recently started an organization called Deus Ex Musica, which uh, promotes the use of sacred music uh, broadly within the church, but for... Um, uh, uh, sort of not necessarily for use in liturgy, but sacred music as a resource for learning and spiritual growth. Oh, that's amazing. We're going to spend most of this time talking about Deus Ex Musica. And as we were preparing for this, I was so interested in hearing about how your values um, shaped the, how your values shaped Deus Ex Musica even before, before you founded it. Well, um, yeah, um, you know, as 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 a church musician, um, I've played in many different kinds of, in many different denominations, many different traditions, and you know, as we talked about before as well, uh, I think there is a an openness on the part of a lot of musicians toward um, a wide variety of Christian uh, denominations, etc. Because you know, we 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 frankly have a lot of exposure to the ways that different kinds of people worship, and as professionals, we're called to serve those communities, um, and so. Um, you know, I'm generally interested uh, in uh, ecumenicism and uh, uh, intra as well as interreligious dialogue. Mm -hmm. And, you know, so basically I've been writing sacred music uh, and putting on various other projects related to sacred music for, you know, 20 or 25 years. And I've always thought of it, if I could, as a ministry in the sense that, well, I'm not a, I'm not a pastor, but I'm doing this kind of work because... I feel my soul that I want, I need to respond to scripture and to the ideas in the church. But also I, I personally, through my work as a conductor, especially with community organizations, I've seen the good that can be done through music, touching people's lives by teaching them how to sing the Messiah, for example, or putting on a children's concert, even if it's not sacred yeah. music. Yeah. So, you know, there's this, so that there's the, well, how, how music can make the world a better place kind of thing. And there's also my own interest and openness towards all, lots of different kinds of Christian traditions. But, you know, especially, to be honest, ever since, uh, ever since Trump was elected, I've, I've seen such divisions in Christ Christendom, uh, especially between evangelicals and, and non-evangelicals. And I realized, you know, it, we're no, no one's talking to each other. And, you know, I probably have more in common with a, 
with a progressive Jewish friend than I do an evangelical Christian. Uh, and that's sad. Um, and so I thought, well, you know, what can I do? You know, how mm-hmm. can I change my focus? If I'm thinking of music as a ministry, how could I change it a little bit to try to bring Christians together? And so I basically had the idea is what if we, I got a whole bunch of Christians together from all different kinds of backgrounds and um, tried to figure out a way to get us to put on events and create re- resources that brought, lot, brought, sort of brought lots of different people together around what they have in common. And fundamentally, mm-hmm. Christians, we all, you know, we all believe in the Bible. And frankly, most composers, when they write sacred music, they take the Bible and they set mm-hmm. it to music. Yeah, yeah. So the basic idea is what if we focused on putting on events and creating resources in which composers and musicians engage with biblical texts by writing new pieces or by talking about other pieces and then use them as a springboard for discussion, a way to bring people together of all different Christian backgrounds, using all, basically bring them all together around something they, they share, which is love for the Bible, mm, but use the various, yeah. yeah, sorry, use the various uh, musical settings as a metaphor for the variety that can come out of the experience of scripture. All Christians share a love for the Bible. It's central to all of our lives uh, and it's a source of wisdom and of ethical uh, engagement with the world. Um, and composers also, most of the time when we write sacred music, we start with the biblical text. But whether it was, you know, Gregorian chant a thousand years ago or someone, you know, writing, you know, you know, uh, a, you know, a, a, a Christian hip hop song today, we respond in many, many different ways uh, based upon partly our, the musical genre we're working in, but also our own uh, denominational uh, orientation or our own lived experience within the faith. And so when you get a whole bunch of musicians together, composers to, to, to set biblical texts, you're getting an incredible variety of responses, but it's all based upon this core, uh, the, the sort of central importance of the scripture. We're all setting essentially mm-hmm. the same text. It's just maybe the translation's different, right? So that's sort of a really interesting metaphor for how lots of different kinds of Christians um, share a love for the Bible, yet react and respond in different, really authentic ways. So I thought, what if I tried to create an organization that put on events and created, created other resources that sort of model that and then use it as a way to get other Christians together to respond in the same way? Del, this seems to me like such a uniquely musician approach to this. And I, I want to go back to what you were talking about with um, ecumenicism or just how musicians tend to work in more denominations than other church leaders. Um, you know, I, I think we're, we're similar in that we've, we both worked for lots of denominations. I am, um, I, uh, I love to tell people, you know, if they hire organists, I probably will work for them. And, and it's a joke, but it's also true. Um, you know, I've worked in lots of places and I'm never surprised, but always, a little bit surprised when I'm talking with pastors who are, you know, they grew up in the denomination, they went to seminary in the de- denomination, and then they uh, started working in the denomination. And if they've been to another service, it was, you know, some unity service at some point, or, you know, visiting for a friend's kid's baptism or something. And they don't have this rich understanding of other denominations. And so when I work in denominations, I say, oh, they're so similar. There's so <laughs> much in common. There's, and, and, you know, I don't want to erase the difference. I don't want to 
I mean, there, there are true differences here, right? You know, I work in a UCC church. There are some true differences between, you know, the Roman Catholic church where I worked. Yeah, there are some big differences. But at the same time, there is so much in common. And I think that we musicians tend to see that far more than any other person who would be, say, on a church staff. You know, we, we, you know, we, frankly, we do get a chance to experience lots of different kinds of worship traditions as professionals, our professionals. Uh, at the same time, we are, we're working with a core group of hymns. Now, some mm-hmm. denominations emphasize other hymns, you know, uh, you don't, you know, there are some Catholic, more Catholic hymns otherwise, but you know what, I've been called to play the same hymns at Catholic and Protestant churches for weddings and funerals and everything in between. And, Mm -hmm. you know, those, those pieces of music are powerful because the words and the music work together to, to communicate something meaningful to, to Christians at a very Mm -hmm. deep level. Um, It's hard to be dogmatic in a hymn and it's really hard to express really nuanced theology in a hymn. You can do it richly, but I guess people, even if those hymns that do that, People don't come to music for the to in order to to really understand in a sort of logical way doctrine. Mm-hmm. They just don't. Yeah. That's not what that's maybe that's what sermons are for or theologians are for. But music a lot, you know, is a way for everybody to engage with the community and with their history and with each other and with God. And that's a sort of a big tent approach that that musicians are working uh, within like all the time. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Yeah. So with you, with uh, Deus Ex Musica, having, having this like underlying value, this, this way of looking at what music can do, it's led to a lot of interesting uh, collaboration for you all. Yeah. I mean, uh, our first, we, so we started in 2000, um, I mean, the idea was germinating in 2017, but I think 2018 sort of got official and 2019 were our first events. Mm-hmm. Uh, our, our, our first, our first live event, Actually, it was our second live event. It was it was really a, an extraordinary success, and we're going to be repeating it this June and repeating it actually at other uh, places across the country. Oh, cool. um, if you'd like, I can tell you a little bit about that. Uh, yeah, well, you, well, tell us about the about that first first event, and yeah. then where, where things are going. Yeah. So what we basically um, I gathered together nine composers from around the world who are all um, all who all come from different Christian traditions. Mm-hmm. Uh, it was a racially uh, and gender um, uh, diverse crew, um, and uh, people were. Uh, we had an Ar- Armenian Orthodox, we had you know Evangelicals, Roman Catholic, progressives, etc. Mm-hmm. Uh, and we all uh, we we among those nine composers, we grouped the composers into three groups, and each set of three was given one psalm to set to music. Mm-hmm. So one group of three set Psalm 13, which is a psalm of lament. One group said Psalm 57, which is um, when David was hiding in a cave from Saul. From Saul. And then uh, the other group set Psalm 148, you know, a great hymn of praise at the end of the Psalter. Mm-hmm. And they went about and they, we all set to music this, these short psalms by ourselves for voice and piano, mezzo-soprano and, and piano. And then we had this event where we had those pieces premiered. It was an ecumenical event where we just said, it was called the Musical Exploration of the Psalms. And we basically had a hundred people from throughout the Boston area and, and actually beyond everything from Pentecostals to Catholics to, to mainliners. They showed up at church on, a, on a, an evening in June and heard these Psalms perform these brand new settings composed that year 
performed you know back to back to back so they hit here psalm 13 by a colleague who teaches at the other wheaton college and then psalm 13 by a colleague who teaches at gordon college in boston and then mm-hmm. psalm 13 yeah. taught by, by someone who teaches at california baptist university oh what right? an experience like to have yeah. that all all together yeah. all at once yeah yeah and so they just heard a one two three no no, no pause in between and then small group broken into sessions piece of paper that just basically said here's some questions to think about what was the most what's the overall mood what is the uh what's the most important word that you heard what do you take away from hearing each setting mm-hmm. small group and they were each wow. uh, moderated by a different clergy person from a different tradition and then we just repeated that twice more with the other psalms um, i love this format um, because it's not just sitting there being, you know, by yourself going, oh, oh, that's really interesting. I like this. I don't like this. But having that built in, even for the introverts among us, uh, you know, form of engagement, like here's a place for you to talk. You don't have to, you know, go talk to some stranger. Like it's, it's built in for you. Yeah. And because people, I mean, some people listen and cogitate and then a week later they have an idea. Mm-hmm. Um, yeah. And some people want to want to talk in the small group. Um, we also had, the opportunity for um, the attendees to write questions for each of the composers that they then sort of handed in. Mm-hmm. And then about a month later, um, we, um, we, uh, we had the chance for the composers to sort of respond to those questions oh, cool. uh, by, by email. Um, so there are ways to make it even more interactive, but we're working on a way to get, well, the basic idea is for people to hear three, six, nine contemporary authentic, creative responses to a text that we all hold dear, uh, and then talk about it. And the most important thing is that, and this is what I tell people in the elevator pitch, it was like, we got a hundred Christians together. We all read the Bible together. There were no arguments. Yeah. You know why? Because the, the, you know what question was not on the table? Did it happen? What's the truth? Those mm. questions were not, those are questions that divide Christians when it comes to the Bible. And I'm not saying they're not important, but the arts don't confront us with those specific questions. So they provide this space for people to come together around scripture that that is not divisive, you know? It just doesn't ask, it doesn't require that you consider the questions which sadly oftentimes divide us, if that makes sense. You know, this is interesting in that you are, um, like making an argument and format that there are other important ways of considering the Bible. Like you're not saying like truth is not important or like, like that these other questions aren't important, but that this other way is also a valid way of experiencing scripture and an important way, a way that we across denominations should be engaging with scripture. Absolutely. And I think, um, and it's not just music that does this. Uh, I think what Deus Ex Musica is doing that's a little bit different than other initiatives when it comes to, to, the, to the use of arts, uh, even theology and the arts, is that we're, we're trying to sort of um, make sure there's an intentional res- opportunity for intentional response and discussion to the art. So mm-hmm. like I sit in church, it's a beautiful sanctuary, and I see the stained glass windows and the architecture affects my experience of God and my sense of Christian community. But I never have a chance to talk to anybody or to my, my, the person in the pew next to me about what it's doing, right? Um, yeah. And yeah. In the sense, or, you know, 
um, if you go to the to a museum, you see a you know a Rembrandt, like the Prodigal Son or something, it affects you deeply. But it, you're also not in a church, so you then have to. Where do you have the conversation that talks about what that 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 painting is doing? for you as a Christian. And the same is true for music. We go, we are so moved in our hearts by the hymns and the anthems and the solos at our church service. But how often do we re really re respond to the art, the music as music? Usually it's, I liked it, mm -hmm. I didn't like it. Or we let it yeah, yeah. You know, surround us and nourish us all week long. But I think there's a space for an intentional an intentionality. So all we're really trying to do that's distinctive in Days Next Music is provide a space for people to actually talk about specifically how music or the arts are affecting them. Do you see what I mean? Mm -hmm. um, I do. And we, I do. we could do that with, you know, visual art if we were, that was our specialty. But, you know, these, we did this event based upon um, using contemporary settings. But our goal is to do live events and also to create online resources where anybody mm -hmm. can listen to a, a famous piece of, you know, sacred music and then really use it to help augment their own faith journey. I'm seeing this as an amazing resource for, um, say, undergraduate teachers and teachers in seminaries, professors in seminaries, but also for all those adult forums, those coffee and community kind of chats that so many churches have where they're looking for some solid programming for people in the church to do. And, you know, this is to me like a prime kind of thing. That's our goal. We don't, whether we work with a publisher or we create our own resources, our, our, our vision in a few years is to really to sort of make available sort of curricula, like four to, four to six mm -hmm. week, you know, Sunday at 10 a.m. or, you know, Wednesday night adult ed curricula yeah. where, you know, you see this sometimes with, uh, you know, with film, you know, there are a lot of these adult ed classes, like you mentioned. What's hard about music, and I'm sure you know this because I, as well as that, as a church musician, like pe people don't think that they can really react. And, sorry, non-musicians oftentimes don't think that they have the ability to respond to mm -hmm. music in, in, in mm -hmm. a way that's, that, that's significant. Mm -hmm. And as someone yeah. who's taught liberal arts undergrads for 20 years, like I know that's not true. Yeah. All yeah. you really need to do is create a safe space where you say, well, what did you think about this piece? Mm -hmm. You know, a safe space and a couple of broad questions and people will talk your ear off. Mm-hmm. Yeah. But I think the first yeah. thing people you say is, oh, I have a terrible voice, or I don't know anything about music, therefore I have nothing to say. It's like you're giving a, a scaffolding and saying like, well, yeah. I've, I've built the stepladder for you, and now you can take the steps, because I, I gave you that stepladder. Exactly. And, and I, I really feel like that's, and, and this is the thing where I think a lot of pastors, if they took a class in theology and the arts in, in seminary, it's probably pretty rare. They might have taken a hymnody class. But that's the difference between listening to a piece of music and sort of being able to talk about what it means. Mm -hmm. All a pastor or a lay leader needs is, you know, maybe 500 words of describing or maybe a short YouTube video or just a, a scaffolding for them to teach them how to lead this kind of thing because mm -hmm. it, it's not hard. It's just knowing that or just sort of knowing how to lead a discussion that focuses on certain aspects that are possible to be talked about with non-specialists and there's so mm -hmm. much richness yeah. in there. Mm -hmm. Yeah. Yeah. Wow. That is, that's like such a, a rich avenue to move, move forward in. I'm wondering if we can talk more about Deus Ex Musica in, in like a general, like, uh, I, I don't think we actually ever said like, here's what this is. Like you've done this one event and you have another event coming up in June, but like just in the big picture, like what actually is Deus Ex Musica? So it's a, it's an organization of, of about, 
you know, 15 to 20 people around the world from all different Christian traditions who are interested in this idea of how do we get, how do we create an ecumenical sort of uh, organization or project that uses an intentional reaction or response to music as a way to bring people together around what we have in common. So we put on these live events. We're doing another, another live event based on the Psalms, different Psalms, different composers in Boston again this June. We're also repeating various iterations of these Psalms events at various other colleges and seminaries next uh, year, 2021, California and, uh, and, uh, and uh, uh, Princeton, Princeton Seminary and at the other Wheaton. Uh, we're also looking to create some of these online resources we also have a, um, a really a wonderful blog that has articles written by composers, mm, yeah. and, scho- composers and scholars uh, from all over the world on various topics uh, related to faith and music. These are long form articles by by um, by you know scholars and and and, and musicians. Um, we have a database project where we're developing a a, a list of, of of sacred compositions that that could be programmed thematically. The idea is that um, we would like to start to put on chamber music concerts or concerts in churches that feature sacred music and conversation in the same way that you might gather people together to watch, to watch, you know, a a film like Parasite and then have a conversation about it. Mm -hmm. We're thinking of how could we do this with with even more live music. Um, And so next year in Boston is, I'm really excited. We're going to be starting a a series of the Deus Ex Music Ensemble. And what that is, is basically a small group of of musicians, Christian musicians from from the Boston Symphony and from the various conservatories around town, uh, playing small pieces of music that fit into, you know, just pieces for one, two, three musicians that engage with the Bible in some way. And again, hold these open, they sort of hold these open as spaces for hearing great music, but also for responding to scripture in that way. Mm-hmm. Um, so we're trying to sort of, we have lots of irons in the fire, but the overall goal is how do we do live and online, how to create live and online resources and events that allow lay people as well as scholars and ministers to engage with the Bible through music. Mm-hmm. Yeah, that's amazing. And so t- tell us more about like the, the programming that you have coming up this June. So this June, we are doing an event where we are taking six composers from around the world, a different set, and we are uh, setting um, two or three psalms yet to be determined. Um, and again, we're going to have these psalms premiered by, these are these can be premiered by a bar- couple of baritones, uh, yeah, low voice male singers in Boston. And similarly, we're going to have an ecumenical group of, of um, pastors and scholars and Uh, from around town helping to run these uh, ecumenical conversations and we'll do video and audio uh, and then at at the end of that event we will have essentially we'll have what 15 different psalm settings from the last two years and we hope to do a studio recording uh, and make these 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 contemporary uh, musical settings of psalms available you know internationally Um, we've got composers from uh, uh, from uh, Nigeria uh, from Illinois, from Korea, um, uh, I'm trying to think, um, and people who are active uh, as Catholics and, and various sorts of Protestants involved in this project. Mm-hmm. Yeah. You know, one interesting thing that I'm hearing throughout all of this is the collaboration or the network that's making making this happen. Like, I realize you're doing a lot of the driving work for this, but it's so interesting for me in a working 
you know, as an academic, as a church musician, so often we like work in our little area and, you know, maybe we go to a monthly meetup or maybe we go to that annual conference, but we don't have, we don't always have that um, interaction with people, but I'm realizing just in order for this to have happened for this and this work to be continuing to happen, there's so much of a network, intentional network, intentional collaboration that's going on. And I'm, I'm curious, is that just a personality trait that comes naturally to you or something that you've, you've done intentional work with? Well, I mean, I, I want it to be, you know, an ecumenical organization and I, I, you know, I, I want to work with people at, who have different perspectives. Uh, and the great thing about that is we have, you know, people who are on faculty at a number of different Christian and non-Christian universities and work at various different churches and institutions. And, and as a result, they get excited, they run with it, they put on their own event. That's how these, these mm -hmm. events in 2021 yeah. are going to happen. And they're going to have their own angle. Mm -hmm. um, and hopefully they're going to serve the community that they are a part of, mm -hmm. um, because that's the goal. Um, and it's also exciting because I, I get to meet people to talk through these ideas with. I uh, think you and I were talking before how, you know, whenever you're doing interdisciplinary work, uh, it's exciting, but, but it's by definition, it's, 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 it's inter, right? It's be, it literally means between, yeah. 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 <laughs> between disciplines, <laughs> which makes it hard to find a home, you know? Mm -hmm. Yeah. And so honestly, it, it can be hard to find funding if you don't, oh, if you don't have a home. That can be hard. Is. It is, yeah. you know? Yeah. So what you need is you need someone on faculty or on staff at a church who says, this is a great idea. And now let me, let me talk to my people to make it happen there uh -huh. and to yeah. pitch it in a way that makes sense for that, that particular community. I, as one guy, I can't do that. I don't yeah. know these communities. It's not authentic either, mm -hmm. but mm -hmm. it's just exciting to see other people want to repeat these events. And, um, you know, I, I, I can't wait to see the responses. I've actually gone to several colleges and, and seminaries in the Boston area this, during this academic year. And I've do, done sort of a, a version of this, this event using the video from our last year's events. And mm, awesome. again, playing these videos and, and asking the students to respond in the same way. And man, I've learned so much and gotten so many great ideas. Mm -hmm. um, I'm, I'm exhilarated because I think there is a lot of potential for this project. Yeah, yeah, it's amazing. You know, one thing that you have um, pointed out is that there's so much, um, the, the music that you are working with with these events is contemporary music. Yeah, and, and you know, in the church, when you say contemporary music, that tends to mean, uh, uh, you know, rock bands and worship oh. team. You and, know, and, I, I struggle with this so much because I, yeah. I think about like, how do I, you know, I work in a traditional, quote unquote, traditional setting. I'm like, well, it's like contemporary classical music is, it, it is contemporary classical music. But if I say contemporary, ah, people will be scared. Or they might say yes, I'm going to clap my hands. And that's okay. <laughs> but, but, you know, in the worship wars, you have the traditional organ and the choir, and then you have the worship bands. And, um, but, you know, there are still Composer who's alive today, myself being one, who engage with the Bible and the prayers of the church and create new music. And those, we don't tend to write music, a lot of us don't tend to write music for a worship, worshiping community, mm -hmm. um, yeah. though there are certainly many people that do. Uh, but, you know, Mozart's Requiem was not intended to be used in church. You know, it was a special concert version of the Requiem Mass. Mm -hmm. And it wouldn't make sense for it to be used as part of a Catholic liturgy. It's an example of classical music that's sacred. Mm -hmm. uh, yep. And that stuff's still being written by people like me and my colleagues. And a lot mm -hmm. of it is contemporary because it's quite avant-garde sounding. And 
But what's the amazing thing I found about the Deus Ex Musica project, about these new projects, the projects involving contemporary classical music, is that this music is so unique, distinctive, and frankly, um, how should I say, um, uh, strange. Uh, mm. A lot of it is, is that it, that it itself is, a, it's a great leveler. Very few people, when they hear contemporary classical music, let me use an example of art. Uh, you know, if you, walk, if you walk into a room, you see a Jackson Pollock, a painting, it's a splatter painting. Um, you know, a lot, a lot of people look and say, I don't really understand what it's saying, right? Yeah. And that, that's, that's, that's okay. Um, at the same time, if you see a piece of contemporary art that depicts the crucifixion, uh, the artist is using color and shape and form to, to try to make a comment or an interpretation about that event. And a yeah. Christian standing yeah. there can look at the contemporary piece and say, I don't really like it. I don't really get it. But man, it's very powerful. It focuses on X or Y. And that's what the music we write tries to do. We take the Bible, but we are bringing our own unique, oftentimes somewhat avant-garde approach to it. But what that does is that since it's sort of equally foreign to most rank and file people, mm -hmm. it doesn't favor somebody who likes traditional sounding music or yeah. it doesn't, it, it, it puts everybody in the same position where this is something brand new and evocative. I don't know what to hang on to, but I can respond to it. Mm -hmm. So I guess what I'm trying to say in a roundabout way is that when you present nine pieces of modern sacred music to people, no one's got an advantage. Mm -hmm. Yeah. And you're <laughs> not asking the them, place. you're not asking them, is this their favorite or what, what did you like? Like that, that isn't the framing question around this. That's not what the dialogue is. The questions we ask are things like, what's the overall list free adjectives that describe the mood of this piece of music? Mm, yeah. Right. You're not asking, as we discussed before, we're not asking the question, which one is the best? We're not mm -hmm. asking the question, which one most faithfully presents the truth of the scripture even? Mm -hmm. That's a loaded question. What we say is, yeah. Yeah. What, what is, how do you feel? Like, what's the composer trying to say? And the nice thing about using scripture is that everyone's read Psalm you know, 148 or Psalm 23, mm -hmm. you know? And we all think we know what it's about. And this is the other thing about contemporary music and the art is that, you know, what the arts have always done is to refresh uh, everyday life, to take things mm -hmm. that, I think it's, I'm not sure if it's Schlafsky or not, but someone, some scholar said, poetry makes stone, stone stony. You know, you, if you read a poem, mm. a poet's description of, of, of nature, you, then you walk outside and you see nature differently. You appreciate different things, yeah. things you hadn't noticed before. That's what the arts do. And I think that's what modern, the modern arts can do to scripture. We're used to hearing these psalms, but if you hear a brand new musical setting of it, you focus on a word that you previously had just sort of let sort of flow by. Yeah. It, when I, that's why I say it, it refreshes the scripture. It brings to light different angles or dimension of something you love, but in a new way, which hopefully is meaningful. Um, and if we listen to the same musical settings of Psalm 23 our whole lives, we, we, we lose the opportunity to, to re-experience it in a new way. Mm -hmm. Yeah. Yeah. Oh, that is, that's such a fascinating way of thinking about it. Like I immediately thought of the Gerard Manley Hopkin poem about dappled things. I think it's a yes! glory to God for dappled things. And it's, and, and I think of this, you know, when I see the dappled sunlight, you know, uh, there, there it is. He drew something out, you know, 150 years ago, he drew something out for me that, you know, not for me only, you know, for me and so many other people. Um, and what you're saying is, you know, music can also do this for you. 
Yeah, you know, just as yeah. an example, we what was what three of the composers in our recent projects up Psalm one forty eight, and we all all use the King James version mm-hmm. for mm-hmm. just because it's just culturally still the best known. Yeah, and in Psalm one forty eight, one of the passages praise God, all ye dragons of the deep. Mm-hmm. Now, mm-hmm. if you had asked me before this musical project, does the word dragons show up in the Bible? I would have said I don't think so. Yeah, <laughs> but suddenly three of these composers had to set to music the word dragons and so many of the listeners said the exact thing i never knew that word was in the bible (laughs) that's great who knows what that i mean that that maybe that's neither here nor there but it's an example of like the composer had to decide which of the 12 notes to set the word dragons to Mm -hmm. Mm -hmm. and that makes a listener pay attention in ways that you know anyway yeah oh that's great that's great (laughs) music is, is great like that you know Oh, as I'm sure you also know, music forces us to experience scripture more slowly. Mm, that's a great point. Yeah. I yeah. wonder if with this um, contemporary music, um, contemporary art music, um, because it can be more difficult for people to hear, or it's just, it's not a familiar musical language, if we want to use that metaphor, if that also isn't a way of slowing it down. I think you're right. I mean, it, it requires a lot of sort of focus to follow some of the musical choices that composers make. Mm-hmm. Um, for example, one of these settings of one, Psalm 148, the composer actually had to, this, the, the singer just suddenly stop singing and actually just speak some of the words, which is mm. quite a jarring experience when you yeah. hear someone singing. And that, of course, also highlights certain words and makes them stand out. Mm-hmm. Um, but the other thing is that that's what's great about contemporary music is that um, uh, since it's not familiar, we um, composers tend to have to use sort of large, sort of a, a large brush strokes, and that if we want something to sound angry, we have, we we make it sound really angry, or maybe not mm-hmm. angry, maybe fearful, or mm-hmm. or mm-hmm. or sorrowful. Uh, and so, actually, paradoxically, it's easier for a, a, a non-specialist audience to get the mood. Yeah, because yeah. if you listen to a Mozart, five different Mozart masses, they're gonna to most people they're gonna sound the same because the musical palette of Mozart was, it's comparatively narrow, the same mm-hmm. handful yeah. of instruments, the same chords. But these days, literally any sound you can think of is part of the palette of the modern composer. Mm-hmm. So yeah. we can, but also sort of need to use uh, some of the most extreme ways to communicate things to get our point across. Mm-hmm. Um, so one of our set settings has the musician suddenly grab a tambourine and start to play it while she sings. Mm. You know, because it was a, it was a piece it was a passage about yeah. rejoicing. Yeah. You know, it's hard to miss that point. Yeah, <laughs> when yeah. she literally grabs a tambourine. You know, ah, which then feeds into these these this dialogue around around the music. Um, it makes it easier to have a conversation because mm-hmm. it's, it's it's easier to to to, to, mm-hmm. to when you ask what's the most important part of this piece. Well, you know, when she picks up the tambourine, that's clearly an important point. Yeah, <laughs> you know. Yeah. Uh. <laughs> Yeah, the, the ex-teacher in me just loves this. It's like, oh, this is such a perfect like, a, a format for teaching. So, so great. We do think that we would like to expand this to use other styles of music, though. Mm-hmm. Uh, that's a lot yeah. of feedback. And we thought that one of the next iterations of this would maybe be you know, to choose one song, but to have a classical composer, a jazz composer, a singer-songwriter, and a hip-hop artist all mm. create their own. Oh, so that's you're cool. working. Yeah, because you know they're, all genres are you know equally valid and, and beautiful mm-hmm. in their own way. Mm-hmm. Yeah, no, this is I, I'm very excited to hear like where things go and to you know send listeners to the Deus Ex Musica website to find out more. Yeah, thank you. It's it's an exciting project, and and on the website there are um, 
um, there are videos and there are, uh, about each of these new psalm settings. There are descriptive commentaries by each of the composer talking about what he or she was thinking about. Mm-hmm. Um, and so you could actually go right now and you know listen to the three settings of Psalm 13 and at, even ask yourself, yeah, you know, h- how does each interpret the psalm differently? That's sort of what we want people to do. Del, can you tell us where to find Deus Ex Musica online and where to find you online? Yes. So the website is deus-x-musica.com. It's D-E-U-S-E-X-M-U-S-I-C-A. Of course, the the pun is on deus ex machina. Yes. (laughs) Um, I like it. And there are dashes in there because otherwise it would look like Dave's sex musica, which we do not yeah, want to, uh, uh, you know. want to do. Yeah. Um, <laughs> so we're doing that. Uh, and then my own website is uh, delvincase.com. That's Delvin with a Y. And that actually has recordings of my own uh, sacred music along with commentary on it as well. Um, we have released a couple of CDs, including a, a CD of mine and a CD by a, a colleague of mine. And those are also available through Deus Ex Musical Records on iTunes and Spotify and Apple Music, etc. That's awesome. Thank you for this conversation. Oh, thanks so much for having me. I want all the listeners to know that you can find show notes at musicandthechurch.com. So if you missed any of these URLs and you want to find Delvin, you want to find Deus Ex Musica, just go to musicandthechurch.com. And of course, you can also find other resources for church staff and musicians there. I'll be back next month with another episode of Music and the Church with Sarah Bariza.